all the horrible experiences that I had with investors made me want to become an investor because I knew that there were a lot more people who looked like me who were probably having similar experiences. And as I started to talk to more people, I heard from them that they were also having some of the crazy, you know, primarily from women, I was hearing a lot of wild experiences that they were having with venture capitalists. And so I kind of made a vow to myself that if I ever got on the other side of building my business, that I would become an investor. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the More Rounds Podcast. I'm Kim Lewis, CEO and co-founder of Chromix. And today, you guys, we have one of the pioneers, one of the best in the land, okay? <laughs> Jewel Burke's here with us today. She has sold her company to Amazon. She has launched a fund, um, one of the few black women to raise a fund over X number of dollars, um, invested in so many black and female founders, many of my friends, some of the folks who've been on this podcast, like Tracy Pickett. Um, I love Jewel and I'm so impressed by what she's done and inspired by her. And I am excited to have her here to tell her story. Okay. But before we get started, uh, we've got to cheers first. Cheers. All right. So you can take a sip if you like, but I'm going to take a sip and then put mine down. Okay. Who is Jewel Burks? And... What's your background? I want to get into your fun story, how you raise uh, money for Collab Capital later. But I would love to know kind of how you got started. You know, take me to that timeline and who was still Parks. Yeah. So I always like to share with people that I was born into entrepreneurship. My parents were entrepreneurs. So I got it honest. I, wa- I grew up watching them build their businesses. I saw the struggles, the ups and downs, sort of every part of what it means to really be an entrepreneur. And so Um, For some odd reason, I decided that I wanted that life too and always knew that I was going to build businesses. So I went to Howard University, majored in marketing. HU was producing like a bunch of, you know, (laughs) dope entrepreneurs. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Um, But, you know, wanted to first get some experience. So started my career. uh, So interned on Wall Street. So got that experience um, and then went, but that was in 08. So not the best time to be starting a career in the financial services, if you know what happened during that time. Yeah. Um, And then decided to go into tech. Uh, Actually, Google was on campus. I heard about, they were offering an internship. So I interviewed and got the internship. And that was kind of how I got into tech. Um, And I moved out to Mountain View to work and I completely fell in love. I thought, man, this is so fast paced, so much going on. um, And I really just wanted to be a part of that. So ended up actually graduating from school early so that I could go back to Google full time. um, And then, yeah, just got deep into what was happening. I wasn't an engineering student. I was, like I mentioned, a marketing major. Um, but I knew that being close and proximate to folks who were building technology was what I wanted to do. Um, so did that and then had some family stuff happen and ended up needing to move closer to home. So moved to Atlanta, which is kind of equidistance from uh, my mom and my dad and grandparents um, in Mobile and in Nashville. And then started working at a parts distribution company, which was a far cry from Google, very archaic in their technology. <laughs> Um, but came up with an idea while I was there to bring technology into that industry. 
Um, so started a company called Part Pick, which was visual search for replacement parts. And then uh, that really was how I entered, really entered into tech entrepreneurship specifically. And then that you started Part Pick and then later sold it to Amazon. Yeah. Right? When did you know, when did you know that you wanted to raise a fund with Collab Capital? So I knew I wanted to become an investor while I was building Part Pick because okay. of all of the interesting and uh, <laughs> interesting is a nice word. All the horrible experiences that I had with investors made me want to become an investor because I knew that there were a lot more people who looked like me who were probably having similar experiences. And as I started to talk to more people, I heard from them that yeah. they were also having some of the crazy, you know, primarily from women, I was hearing a lot of wild experiences that they were having with venture capitalists. And so I kind of made a vow to myself that if I ever got on the other side of building my business, that I would become an investor. So I knew probably year two of building Part Pick that when I got done building, the next thing I wanted to do was, was invest. Um, and so luckily I was able to sell the business. I had some liquidity, had some money, um, so that I could start angel investing. And so that's the first thing I did. I started meeting with founders, um, getting to know what they were working on. And that was really my way of getting out of a little bit of a depression around um, selling my business earlier than I anticipated. So how long it, were you doing part pick? It was four years. Okay. Yeah. So I started in 2012 and sold in 2016. Okay. Um, so yeah, you know, that experience I had, billion dollar aspirations yeah. in building my business. And unfortunately, because of how fundraising was for me, I took the offer to sell to Amazon probably earlier in the life cycle of the business than I wanted to. Um, ultimately, it was a great outcome. You know, everything I'm doing now, that was the platform for it. But because of how challenging fundraising was for me, I feel like I didn't get the full shot at building what could have been a much bigger business. So yeah, that's what's motivated me to become an investor now. Like I said, initially angel invested, uh, learned a ton, met incredible founders, got a chance to put to work my own capital and then quickly realized, and after conversations with my financial advisor, realized I can't be spending all the money that I made <laughs> on angel investments. So decided that I wanted to really formalize my investing and um, start a fund. Okay. And I was having conversations with a couple of my friends at the time who were similarly situated as far as they built businesses. They were kind of figuring out what they wanted to do next. And we were all coming to the same conclusion that we really wanted to make sure that the next generation of founders didn't have the same struggles that we had. Man. So that's how we started Collab. So how long was it between you angel investing and when you got your first big check for Collab? So my first angel, angel investment was in probably early 2017. And our first check-in for Collab was 2020, 2019, 2020, somewhere in there. So it was like two and a half years. Before three, you yeah, got... probably three years. I think our first first check-in for Collab were 2020. So yeah. So were you spending those three years like just meeting as many rich people as you could to get <laughs> checks? Like how, how are you, you know, it's like a mystery. I don't, I don't think founders ever think about what it's like for a VC to raise money. 
I think we just think, okay, I'm building this great business. I want to build something amazing. I need funding for it. Okay, I have to raise money. How do I raise money? Oh, I talk to people. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, this is how I raise money. And let me go talk to VCs. They never think how the VC got that money in the first place. They just think it's yours. You know what I mean? Oh, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I, mean, I think I was hmm, a few things. I was keeping my investors from part pick updated on how things were going with the transition into Amazon. So I would send them kind of, you know, maybe quarterly or biannual updates on, you know, this is what's going on as far as the integration. Um, here's what I'm thinking about for what's next. I let them know, like, I've made my first few angel investments. So that was one kind of bucket of people that I was keeping in the loop as far as what I was planning on doing next. And I told them they were probably the first to know that I was planning on starting a fund. Um, and then, you know, I just continued to network. I think... I drew more attention once people realized that I had sold my business to Amazon. I think I was kind of, I think I was kind of an underdog in the venture world. And so once people saw like, oh, you built something that Amazon wanted, of course, that attracted more people to try to figure out what I was going to do next. Because oftentimes venture capitalists, they want to bet on your second thing if you've been successful in the first thing. So a lot of people were trying to figure out if I'm going to start a new business or, you know, what exactly am I going to do next? So that was another kind of pot of people that I was keeping warm and letting know, oh, I'm going to actually start a venture capital fund. Um, I also was just going to events, getting out there, networking, meeting people. Um, and then I also took on another role. I was leading Google for startups um, shortly after, well, after I left Amazon after three years. So I had a few things that were going on over the course between 2016 and 2019 to start to get people interested in what I was going to be doing next. And I think that made it easier when I actually went out and said, I'm going to raise a fund. Those first few conversations, people were excited to back what I, what I was going to do next, given the success of the first thing. And, you know, starting a fund, people think that like, okay, well, some rich person just wrote you a check and like, now you have a fund. It's my understanding <laughs> that you have to like have filings with the SEC, right? About like the, the, the information around your fund and like reports. What does that look like? At what point do you do that when you start a fund? Yeah, it's definitely not just uh, someone writes you a check. Well, maybe for some people that's what it is, but for me that wasn't it at all. It was it was actually a year of trying to figure out if we were actually going to start a fund. So I have two partners, uh, Barry Gibbons and Justin Dawkins, and we all knew that we wanted to do something to get capital to entrepreneurs, but we didn't necessarily agree on what the method would be or what the structure would be. Um, each of us had our different experiences with investors and honestly all of us didn't really like those experiences and so we were reluctant to build a fund because the connotation with that is that we would become venture capitalists and we just said we don't like venture capitalists so be the very thing that you hate yes. when your idols become your rivals right <laughs> <laughs> so we were very reluctant to pursue that particular path. Um, and so we we spent literally a year going back and forth about what it is that we wanted to build, what would the structure be, um, how would we do it differently to make yeah. sure that we weren't becoming what we didn't like. Um, and we really, I mean, we were in the lab for just like entrepreneurs kind of figuring out how we wanted to build it. And what we ended up with is that we did want to build a fund, but we wanted to do things differently. So even the structure that we have a collab is a bit different than your typical venture capital fund. Um, the LPs that we have, the limited partners, our investors are, I would say, probably more diverse than your typical fund. 
uh, mostly because the first 10 million that we raised, primarily we raised it from individuals, entrepreneurs, operators, people who we knew could come in and be helpful to the businesses that we invested in. Um, so and, a lot and for, real quick, um, how, tell me how much you raised overall for collab capital. So fund one, we raised just over 51 million, um, currently raising fund two with target a hundred million. Oof. So, so yeah, <laughs> congrats to I'm as a black female founder, VC, all the things like I know how hard it's been to just raise period. Right. And so to be like our fund is $50 million and, we're, and we distribute that and we're on fund two. You know, and, and we're targeting a hundred million. Whether or not, I don't know if you know you get there. I mean, maybe we're gonna you get raise there. more than a hundred million. Maybe you <laughs> raise two hundred million. Who knows? Yes. Like, and that was not a, a doubt to you at all. It was just like it doesn't matter. Like what you've done is enough, and like it's incredible. Thank and I'm, I'm proud of you. I appreciate that. Uh, truly, true. and inspired by you. Um, you have a for founders who see an exit, which there we are so. F- so few of us actually get to the exit, which yeah. that is the goal, right? Um, to then go on and do something else like launching a fund and raising $50 million or more. That's just incredible. So very, very impressed by you. Thank you. So at what point did you guys do the filings with the SEC? Is that hard? Is that like how in crowdfunding we have a Form C? Like what does that look like? Um, I think hard is relative. I feel like a lot of stuff in this business is hard, but it's just what you have to do to be in business. So you got to get a good legal team. We have a great one. Townsend and Wackett, Black-owned firm out of Atlanta. <laughs> okay, uh, Black-owned. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, they obviously took a lot of the work related to all of the filings um, off of our plate. Um, but I would say more than just the filings, because, again, that's paperwork. I don't think that's necessarily hard. It's just, like, what you have to do. Um, the structure of how we wanted to put together the firm, um, the institution making like institution building, I think is the harder part Okay. because if you think about venture capital, it's, it's about a 60, 70 year old industry. Mm -hmm. And there are firms that have been in business for 50 plus years. Um, And this is not like a, we raise a $50 million fund and then we go away or hopefully that's not what happens. We're talking about, decades that we are trying to build up a business in. Um, So that I think is the harder part of making sure that we have everything, the foundation set so that we can build something that can be longstanding over many, many decades. Do you think I have a question? I have an interesting question. You know, do you think that VCs who are not previous founders who had an exit are as valuable as VCs who are previous founders with an exit? (laughs) I feel like this is a little bit of a controversial question. <laughs> it is controversial, but I have my opinions, but you know, I'm not a VC, so yes. I would love to know from your end. Okay, I'll take it to two angles. One, just looking back at my founder experience, I will say the investors that I found to be most helpful were those who had operated previously. Okay. Um, and then from what I hear from the founders that I've invested in, <laughs> as compared to their other investors, I think we tend to be a little bit more helpful just because we know exactly the shoes that the founders are in. Yeah. Our experience, I mean, I built my business 10 plus years ago at this point. So the things that I experienced are not exactly the same as what a founder today is going through. But I think the empathy that I have for what it is like to be a founder is valuable. Um, there, It could be argued that folks who have more of the financial experience or maybe you know coming from private equity 
or more traditional VC background may be helpful on certain aspects of the business that I may not be as helpful on. Um, I think for entrepreneurs, it's great to build a team of people who have varied experiences. So there's no problem that somebody that's in your will or in your network hasn't seen. Yeah. Um, but I would say, I think it's an advantage for sure to have been in the seat of a, of an entrepreneur and now be an investor because I can kind of see all sides. If you are a Chromix investor, meaning you invested in our crowdfund last time or this time, we need you to wear your investor tee that says Chromix investor to Ulta on September 17th and take a picture with the products on the shelf. Yes, get a shelfie and post it online with the hashtag Chromix investor. We want to see you and your beautiful smile. Now back to the episode. So you've been in this entrepreneurial VC game for like a decade now, right? You've seen founders come and go. You see founders blow up. You see founders stay in the same spot. Is there something that the founders who are winning are doing differently than the founders who are not? Yes. Okay. What is that? <laughs> what is that? Um, there's, a, there's several things. The things that stand out to me are consistency and focus. I think it's so easy to get distracted in this business, um, in the business of bu building a business. It's very, very easy to get distracted. There's a lot of trends that come and go. Um, there's a lot of things that seem to be important, but really are not going to make a difference in the business. So typically to me, the founders that are most successful have a crazy focus on exactly what it is that they're building. Can you give me an example of like what you think is like consistency? Like an example, a story or someone? Um, hmm, do I want to name people? Let's see. Well, okay, I'll give you an idea. Um, the founders, I have, so I have like 15 angel investments okay. from before I started Collab. And the founders who have performed best out of my angel investments have been the ones that are extremely consistent with their investor updates. Mm. So on a, at least monthly, in some cases, more regularly than monthly, I have one company that does like weekly updates, which is a lot, but how um, big are they? That they're doing these like weekly, monthly updates. The I have three companies that I'm thinking about. They're all at the series B stage. Mm. All have raised 40 to $50 million. Mm. Um, all are doing tens of million dollars in revenue. Um, all are valued at hundreds of millions of dollars oh, and they're wow. still consistent. Some of them maybe have gone to quarterly. What do these weekly updates look like or monthly updates look like? Is it just like an email or is it like a deck or like it's, it's very simple? It's all, e most of them are emails. Um, some do videos from time to time, but mostly they do emails and, um, they also have financial packets every quarter. Mm. So they're talking about challenges in the business um, and highlighting challenges in the business, that's really important because a lot of times founders think you need to just give your investors the good stuff, but actually your investors can be most helpful when they know what's going wrong in the yeah. business and they mm -hmm. know it before they can see it. Mm -hmm. You should tell them before they can see it themselves. Um, so that's one thing, challenges in the business. Morale, I, that's become more of a theme in the updates of like team morale, how are things going with, with the team. Um, financials, that's up front. Where are we from a cash position? Um, what, you know, what's our revenue look like? What's our turn look like? Um, yeah, those are kind of this consistent theme. What's growth? What's happening as far as customer acquisition? Um, 
And at this point, yeah. though, you're an angel. So, like, they don't have to share that information, right? Like, it's not not that you wouldn't. But, I mean, like, at this point, they probably have a formalized board. They're they're responsible for giving their board certain data every quarter. Yeah. Like, what makes them... Why do they do that? Yeah, like because there's a lot of work, like to be like, because then also you can't be doing anything, not anything else, but like if you're if you're sending you know weekly, monthly update. I mean, I'm telling on myself, you know, I'm learning here. <laughs> I'm like, teach me though. I'm learning. All right, so this is you yeah. Know, I'm this so, is a podcast episode for the audience, but obviously I'm getting my consulting. So. <laughs> So I think monthly updates, weekly is a bit much. That particular company, they were going through something uh, pretty challenging. Okay. And they needed their investors to be understanding what's going on okay, because it was something that was kind of getting, um, it was getting press. So they needed, they needed people to be uh, okay. understanding what was happening. But monthly to me is should be across the board. And the reason that they're sending it to all of their investors because is because they want support from whoever has a stake in the business. So even though I may have put in $25,000 five years ago, I still have connections at Google. I still, you know, can make introductions for them to later stage investors. There's still things that I can do. Yeah. And I want to do because now it's like, any company I'm invested in, I want to be successful. Mm-hmm. So whatever I can do, even if it's a small thing, I want to be doing it. Um, but yeah, that to me, and people, I know some people don't believe this, but I really think consistent updates is just a critical thing to do. And not only for the investors. It really, for me, when I was a founder, I did it because it helped me remain accountable to what I said I was going to do. Mm-hmm. So if I said in a monthly update, this is what we're going to do next month, that was just motivation for me to hit that target so that I could say in the next month mm-hmm. we hit it mm-hmm. and here's yeah. what we're going to do the next month. So I think it's an accountability thing. I think it is um, also just an, a great record to keep as far as the progress of the business over time and how you're thinking about the business. A lot of times I feel like writing out your thoughts is super helpful for clarity. Um, so there's a lot of benefits to it. I think I wrote a blog post about why I think people should write monthly updates. I'm very passionate about this. And it's totally not self-interested when Jules just needs to know everything that's going on. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. I'm joking. I'm like, you make very solid points. Very solid points. But I think another thing, one last thing I'll say about this, because it is a content, is a little bit of a contentious point between founders and investors. But the other thing is you want your investors to have the latest and greatest information about your business so they can speak to your business when speaking to other people. Um, I was telling some of the founders that I'm invested in, my founders that I'm, that I've invested in are like my, um, cocktail conversation. You know what I'm Mm. saying? They're, if they're top of mind, if I've just read an update, it's who I'm talking about when I meet anyone I think will be relevant to their business. Yeah. So that's another reason it's, it's honestly, it's selfish of like, I just want you to know what's going on so you can talk about me more. That's <laughs> exactly. That's really the reason. So. so the founders that are performing the worst in your portfolio, what's some common threads amongst them? Lack of focus, mm. getting distracted, doing Start everything. No, I'm no. kidding. <laughs> I'm totally joking. I, look, I think there are, if you're, particularly if you're in a consumer business, there are many reasons to do a podcast, get out there, let your customer see you. Media, yeah. I think that it makes total sense. Now, if you're in a enterprise, you know, if you're selling to enterprise, yeah. do you do you need a podcast? Maybe Probably if it's not. very specific to your customers, but I think a lot of people get caught up in the flash of entrepreneurship and they miss the fact that you have to be building a business that's making money and doing it profitably. 
um, eventually. That's the goal. Yeah. And all the other stuff, if it's not driving toward that, then it's a distraction. Um, so I see people, you know, getting hyped up with the lists that they made or the awards and all of that is like, look, I know your numbers and yeah. your numbers <laughs> really not looking like that. She's so like, I saw that PNL, <laughs> that negative EBITDA. Yeah, you just, don't, you know, I know you got that award, but uh. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's what I see in the founders that are not doing as well. Um, and then I think the other piece is getting caught up in fundraising. Um, fundraising can be a big distraction if you let it. Yeah. And if it's not means to to an end as far as inputs going to growth, then you're just raising a lot of money and then the business has nothing to show for it. And Mm -hmm. so that some people get really good at fundraising and they take that to mean that they're good at being a entrepreneur. Mm. And those two things are not one and the same. Mm. Mm. Okay. Oh, you gave me a lot of, I was going to, so my question typically is like, that's an unpopular opinion that you have about fundraising, but you just gave me so many, <laughs> um, like, you know, contentious points between, you know, I, I have a different question for you. What's something that you think entrepreneurs like need to hear? Like you get a lot of people asking you for money all the time and you know, and I feel bad sometimes too, because like, I know you do it from like a human perspective, like from a personal perspective. So I never feel like, um, if Jewel tells me no from an investment, I'm just like, okay, cool, whatever, girl. Like, if you want to go, still want to go to lunch, like, da, 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 I don't take it personally. But sometimes, you know, people that no hurts, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, and then they associate that no or that feeling that you gave them or whatever with you as Jewel the person, yeah. and that it's just really not who you are. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and that was just why I kind of feel bad sometimes from a VPC perspective because people will paint whatever image based on that note. Yeah. But is there something that you want like founders to know? Um, people who are approaching you, people who want, you know, deals, people who um, want a check from you. Um, and you say you're raising a hundred million dollar fund. Is it the same thesis that you have with the first 50 million or is it a different thesis? Um, sorry, so, there's a lot of questions. Yeah. There. My bad, my bad. I'm sorry. I'm working on my hosting. <laughs> I'm working on my hosting. Okay. So I'll take it apart. Um, the first thing is what do I want founders to know? Yeah. I think I really want people to understand capital and the different types of capital that's could be available for their business and matching capital with their business. So venture capital has a very specific purpose. It's gotten very muddled over the past five years mm-hmm. where it's been applied to consumer businesses. It's been applied to um, businesses that are using the venture capital to pay for ads. That's really not the intention of venture capital and that messes it, in my opinion, it messes it up because it's a mismatch. Um, venture capital traditionally is for high-risk businesses with either a high amount of research required or a high capital expenditure from the people standpoint, meaning you have to pay for very expensive engineering talent um, and high margin. So that's kind of the risk reward is that you're going to get into a business where there is some type of repeatable model that's going to have a a high level of margin, which is why you see venture capital typically for software businesses. Yeah. Um, But like, doesn't like 60% of VC money go to like Facebook or something like that? That is 
manufacture. I mean, that is what has happened, but that's not <laughs> the intention. Okay. You get what I'm saying? Okay. And, and something else to know, and I don't know if we have the time to go into all this detail, but I think it's really important for people to take apart what's happened over the past four or five years in the industry versus what the actual intention of the capital and the way that it actually works. There's been the, the, there's been a lot of cheap money circulating over the past five years. Of course, now we're in 2023 and the landscape is completely different. Yeah. Um, but I think people are still operating with the 2021 mindset thinking that, oh, this company raised this amount of capital, I should be able to also. Yeah. And that's just not the case. It's you just, know. it's not, it's just not. Um, so it's important for founders to understand. What's the difference between 2021 and 2023? 2020, let's say 2021, and maybe I'll go back even further, 2019, just capital was cheap, very flowing. Markets were doing great. Easier to get. Easier to get. People, people were able to raise money in a much easier fashion um, off of ideas that, or even solutions that really just are not a great fit for capital, for venture capital. Yeah. When I say that, I, I, I don't know if I'm really explaining it well, but one thing I want founders to think about is the cost of capital. Venture capital to an entrepreneur is very expensive capital because you're giving away equity in your business early and you don't exactly know what it's going to be worth in the future. Yeah. There's other types of capital out there that don't have the PR <laughs> that that venture capital has yeah. that are actually a lot more um, affordable for your business. And oftentimes, you know exactly what you're going to have to pay for it in the future. Debt, you know exactly when you sign up for it, you know what you're going to have to pay. Yeah. Um, sometimes businesses can't afford it, depending on what their cash flows look like. But getting smarter about the types of capital that are available and how that matches with your business model is something that I want for all founders to do. Because I think people just think, Oh, I started a business. I need to get venture capital. Yeah. And venture capital is for less than 1% of businesses yeah. from a t business model and type perspective. Yeah. And also a risk perspective. Um, so that's something that I want founders to know how that translates to my role is that, Yes, I have to tell a lot of people no because I I am in the venture capital business. Yeah, and although we have an interesting model um, where we've brought profit sharing into part some of the the deals that we do, by and large, at the end of the day, any company that I invest in, I have to answer a question of Do I believe this company is going to be able to return the fund? And what that means is at an exit, at a future um, sale or IPO. Do I believe that with this investment, I will be able to get $50 million in fund one or $100 million in fund two back from this investment? Mm. So if you think, if you do the math on that, that means that I'm investing a million dollars. I need to, I need that company to exit for a billion dollars, $2 billion in fund two in order for me to get my original investment back times what times 50 essentially for me to return the fund. Yeah. Um, so that, that type of math is important for founders to have a sense of, because I'm not telling you no, because I don't like you or don't not even because I don't like your business. It's really a math equation that I'm doing on my side that I have to underwrite for every investment that I do. And that is that because it has to be a 10 X that's because we're in a business of bets. If I make, 
30, typically 40 investments in a fund, my calculation, my calculus is that maybe four out of 40 of those companies are going to be able to return the fund. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping that more are. And that will give you like a three X return. On the fund. On the money. Yes, yep. okay. exactly. And that's what I owe to my LPs. So right. I'm not successful in the business that I signed up for if I don't return at least three X of the money of the 50 million. So 150 million is what I need to get back in order to. And two X would just be like three founders and then. One X would be, you know, a hundred. It would be two founders. Yeah, I mean, for for rough math. Yeah, rough math. Okay, rough math. What's really going to happen is some founders are going to return, you know, just flat. If I gave them a million dollars, they'll give me a million dollars. Most founders are not going to return anything, or they'll return less than. (laughs) Yeah, it'd be like that. Yeah, that's the reality. (laughs) Business is hard. This stuff is not easy. So that's the expectation when we go into an investment. Obviously, we want the investment to do well. We want the founder to be successful. We want to get our money back, but the reality is there's so many things that can happen along the course of, you know, a 10 year relationship is what we're really signing up for when we write that check. Yeah. And there's so many things that can happen. So generally, however, I have to be able to underwrite at the onset of the investment that this is what I expect we can do. And if you come to me and you say, my market is, you know, I'm in a market that's if I get all the customers, it's a $100 million market. Well, then I know we're not going to be able to. I can't underwrite it's that. It's, yeah, too yeah, yeah. it's too small. Or if you tell me that um, you're in a business where you have to sell to your customers, each customer, every single time. Like you have to acquire customers, new customers every single time. Yeah. Then I'm like, Ugh, the, yeah. the cost on that is going to be too high. We're probably never going to get to profitability. Yeah. So those are the types of things I'm thinking about. And again, it's nothing against, and I think this is a struggle for entrepreneurs to recognize. It's nothing against you or what you're building. It's literally, I signed up for a certain uh, target that I have to hit in order for me to be successful at my job. So that's what I'm thinking about when I'm evaluating any business. Okay. I have one final question. Um, are there any... You know, I mean, you've gotten this one before, but I just have to know selfishly. Are there um, any investments that you've, like, people you passed on that you wish, like, oh, dang, if I could go back, like, I would have invested, you know, a little bit of money here, a little bit of money there? Absolutely. There's many. Um, but the one that always stands out, and I've told her this, she knows this, and I've been trying to make it right ever since. <laughs> Not make it right. <laughs> is um, Savisha Wilson. Oh. Um, I had an opportunity to invest in her, like, pre-seed round. Oh. And I talked to her. I, I thought she was amazing from the first time I chatted with her. Um, but I didn't believe in the market because she sells to nonprofits. And I didn't think that the well, market fair. would be big enough. I can see that. Um, or that they would just have the money to to buy her product. But this is an instance where I veered a little bit from my typical way of investing, which at the earliest stage, which is bet on the founder, Mm -hmm. which I should have bet on her all day. So I say, I've been trying to make it right. I've, you know, recommended her for different things. (laughs) uh, She is now a friend um, and she's actually an LP in collab. So she's, she's dope. Yeah. So we, we're, we're, we're good. Luckily, she didn't hold it against me that I didn't invest. But that's one that I think, ah, oh, that was uh, a mistake. That's a good one. Um, and, yeah, I mean, generally, bet on black women all day. So, yeah. What I can say is that, like, because so many of our black female founders that I've, like, come up with, we want it so bad, it's at all costs. Yeah. Even if we 
losing our houses or like eating ramen noodles. Like I'm not saying that's what we should do, yeah. but I'm saying that's that's what many of us are willing to do to 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 not let our business just die. Yeah. And so it's and I know that there are other people who are like I would have quit that a long time ago. You know what I mean? Just start something new. Sorry investors, sorry so and so, you know, but that's not how we roll. So um, Jewel, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Um, I really appreciate you. Truly, truly, truly. Tell everybody where they can find you. Well, first, before I do that, I just want to say it's been such a journey and an and honor to watch your journey over the past. I think we met nine, probably nine, eight, nine years ago. Aww. So watching when you talk about resilience and pivoting and figuring things out um, it's been just a pleasure to watch. So. Oh, thank you, Joel. Thanks for having me. I feel like this is a very full circle moment for Aww, us. Oh, <laughs> thank you, Joel. I'm air hug. <laughs> awesome. Um, yes, but folks can find me. Collab.capital is our website. We have an open application on our website. So if you are building a venture-backed, venture-backable business, feel free to apply. And then I'm Jewel Melanie on all socials. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for tuning into the More Rounds podcast. I'll see you guys on the next episode. 